One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Unfiltered. My name is Ollie Dugmore, and today my guest is a fighter. Born in Atherton, he started learning traditional martial arts age seven. Now standing at six foot five and weighing 18 stone, he sits fifth in the UFC's heavyweight rankings. But the path of successful MMA career for a British heavyweight is not an easy one. Speaking about that journey, he said, there were some days I had 20 quid and had to decide how am I going to feed the kids or am I going to put the fuel in the car to go and train? He was undefeated in the UFC, all kinds of cash bonuses for first round finishes until a freak injury in his last fight blew his knee apart. A year later, he returns to the octagon. My guest today is Tom Aspinall. Tom, how are you, mate? How's tricks? That was quite the introduction. Yeah. Was it all right? Yeah. It, uh, a bit over-exaggerated. You reckon? But, <laughs> no. It was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. How you doing, mate? Good. I'm doing well, thanks, yeah. You're looking well as well. Been bang- banging the weights after the knee? A uh, little bit, yeah. Trying to keep in shape, do you know what I mean? I didn't want to... A lot of people, they go depressed and fat when they're injured, and I tried... Uh, to avoid both depression and fatness. I think, I think that's, a, did all right. that's a good rule for life, isn't it? Yeah, I think I did all right. Try, try, but, try uh, to take care of yourself. I am fit. I've, my fight's in eight weeks, so yep. um, I've got to be fit. I've got to be fit, so I'm feeling good. But I did keep in shape the whole time, really. I had a couple of months of being depressed and fat, and then uh, got over myself a little bit and tried to like get back on the horse of being the UFC heavyweight champion of the world, and I'm well on my way to being there, I reckon. I guess, you know, what I was saying in that intro, you know, when you started, it was success, 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 success. And then to have to deal with something like that, you know, to deal with a loss, but sort of a loss that it's not, you know, it's almost not a heavy defeat or a decision, you know, an injury like that, it's really rough. And how you respond to that can really dictate what happens next, right? Yeah, I think um, this is a pivotal, no, that's not the right word. Pivotal. word is it? Pivotal, pivot, how do you say it? Pivotal. Pivotal point in my career i think i think that like pre-surgery tom aspinall and post-surgery tom aspinall are like two pretty different people how um a lot of ways really i think i had a lot of time to think during this time of not being able to do much physically because you know i'm I'm a pretty active guy like especially when i was fighting i was going like like you said i was going like literally from fight to fight to fight to win to win to win to bonus to interviews to media to all that stuff and then it just went boom nothing so i had a lot of time to think and 
I feel like I cut a lot of stuff out of my life that I didn't need, that didn't serve me becoming UFC heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm really happy with it. I'm really content with the way that my life is now day to day. I'm really content with the people I've got around me and the way that just my day to day life is. I'm really, really happy with it. And I think that a happy fighter, as corny as it sounds, like a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter, especially in my case. And I'm ready to um, beat everybody up. I'm happy for you, mate. I'm happy for you. So with Unfiltered, um, as with all of our guests, it's a conversation about your life and how it's kind of led you to where you are, the person you are today. So Unfiltered. Does that mean you can drop F-bombs and that? You can, mate. C-bombs. You, you can. I don't often drop the C-bombs. I'll, I'll, I'll drop a cunt in there now. Okay. We'll just we'll start I'll it off like that. It. Start it strong. Not you, yeah. Um, let's start at the beginning then. Let's begin at the beginning. Atherton. Yes. What was, what was growing up there like? What was your childhood like? Mm, quite regular, really. Nothing... Out of the ordinary, from a good family. My family are very good people. Working class is a working class area. People, uh, blue collar area. People work in garages, as plumbers, in factories, that kind of shit. Mm. Not lawyers, doctors, not that kind of place. Not that kind of corporate place. It's more, you, uh, yeah, you, you work in a garage, you work in a factory, you work as a plumber, electrician, you sell drugs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Normal blue collar, smallish town person what, stuff. Where does Atherton sit on the Wigan Kebab pasty balm axis? Pasty balm every time. Yes. Um, see, it's, it's a bit of an odd area. So it's like, it's kind of like in a Wigan um, council area, but it would like people from Wigan wouldn't say Atherton was in Wigan. It's more of like a Manchester bit. It's Salford. Yes. No, it's not Salford as such. I was actually born in grey area. It's a bit of a grey area. It's mm. a bit of an in-between area. Great at Manchester. Great at Manchester is. You began learning martial arts, traditional martial arts, at the age of seven. Were you a fighter? Were you born a fighter? Or is it something that you just sort of ended up doing because no, was your dad's... Uh, I don't know if anyone... I don't know. I think I think it's definitely in me to be, to be a fighter. I don't know. I think I'd be lost without it. But that's something that I discovered along the way. I just kind of like... Um, it's something that I, it takes over your life, which is good in my case. It, all my energy went towards doing that, doing, uh, yeah, just, I, I don't like losing very much. I don't like, um, and I also like facing emotion. Do you know what I mean? I, I realized that fighting in front of people gave me a lot of nerves and anxiety and I wanted to face that and it, it re- like related to other challenges and help me deal with that as well like mm-hmm. uh, i used to be really really shy i used to not like being around people and being in groups and stuff like that and i feel like that my success in that gave me confidence in everyday life as well so i feel like that's why i was drawn to it a lot fear must have been a part of it as well fear still a part of it of course yeah it's scary it's scary mate how does that how do you deal with that how do you do you try and channel it towards focus and you know Fear, um, it can make you, it can do a cut, it can do quite a few things to be honest. It makes me extra sharp because I know how to deal with it, and that's something that I've been dealing with now for a long time. So I'm, I'm a bit of a veteran at dealing with the fear. Uh, I feel like that what I always say is like I've got a good relationship with it, fear, and some people don't have a good relationship with it, and it can really chew you up if you let it. But uh, that's why you, you see a lot of good like gym fighters and stuff. Mate, I've been beat up plenty of times in the gym before, but I perform really well under the pressure. And not everybody does. Mm. Like, 
I've got uh, one of the UFC staff just asked me, actually. There's a guy, Mick Parkin, who's just got in the UFC. He's a heavyweight who, who trains with me. And I think he's like 7 or 8 and oh, He's really good, like in the gym. And the, the UFC lady was just asking me, like, what's Mick like? I said, Mick's really good. But it's hard to see how good he really is because he's not fought in the UFC yet. And that's a whole another pressure that is only understood by someone who has fought a lot of times in the UFC. Like, it's a different pressure. And then you fight low down the card. And then when you start fighting up the card and then you start main eventing, it's just a different pressure all the time. It just never, never, never ends, really. We're jumping ahead a little bit here, but I don't mind because your your UFC debut, right, is Fight Island. And it's, you've spent, you know, your career as a mixed martial artist. You've got, you're, you're here. It's your coming out party. Yep. You know, you've all sorts of emotions. And instead of it being, I don't know, and you've experienced this now, you know, a sold out O2 for UFC London or, you know, anything like that. And there's a couple of hundred fans. You're in sort of a COVID bubble. I don't want to like, I'd rather sort of forget a bit about COVID to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> if we Holy could. Shite, weren't it? Yeah, yeah. terrible. Fucking terrible, man. Um, but, you know, this is the pinnacle of your career and other fights you've watched, you know, sold out arenas and it's not quite the same. I mean, what were the emotions for you going into that? It must have been weird. It was. But do you know what? Looking back, I think it was the best way for me it was like the best thing to come out of COVID for me because um, I really got used to the process of being a UFC fighter without having the pressure of like 20,000 people. Mm. The fourth fight I had was in Vegas. It was still in COVID. It was in the apex. But, um, was that Olofsky? That was when I fought Olofsky. Yeah, but this, oh, no, that was when I fought Spivak. I fought uh, Olofsky in the apex, but there was no one there still. Yeah. But then when I fought Spivak, they'd let like 500 people in. And that felt like a massive crowd at the time because I was used, I had three fights with nobody. Yeah. And then I was already pretty comfortable like with the UFC staff, with the travel, with like fighting overseas, the whole process of fight week, the pressure and all like I felt like I got pretty comfortable with that without anybody there for three fights. Um and then when it opened up again and like they started letting the, the big crowds in, I feel like I was already pretty used to like being a UFC fighter and what it is to be a UFC fighter. So I think I was really lucky in that respect. It didn't go from fighting on a show with 300 people to fighting in front of 20,000. It, it wasn't like that for me. It was like a slow build. So I think it actually worked in my favor a little bit. With the Orlovsky fight as well, I know, you know, he's one of one of your heroes really growing up watching the UFC, right? Yeah. Two-time heavyweight champion. You beat him. And then afterwards, you're still in the, the COVID bubble, right? You're, yeah. in, you're in your hotel room with your dad eating pizza. That's I mean, right. That's sur right. Surreal. That was very odd. That was an odd experience because that was a... That probably even still now, I think that was the biggest win in my career, maybe, even though like, um, just because of who he is, yep. you know what I mean? Like there's more implications for the other guys I beat. Um, like, especially like Volkov, I think he was ranked top five at the time and mm. I finished him in the first round, but because, um, Halovsky is who he is. And when I fought him, he was on like a six fight win streak as well. He's not done as well since, but, um, I think just because of who he, who he is, it was like a massive deal for me. And then. For me to be, I literally remember getting back. I had blood on me, his blood, of course. Uh, yeah, his blood. Um, and I was just sat in the hotel room that we'd been in all week, like an hour after my fight. I still had my shorts on, no t-shirt, and my wraps on, eating a pizza. And I was like, "What the hell is this? Wait, waiting to like go home." It was so weird. But uh, Arlovski isn't what I thought he was. He's not a very nice person, or he wasn't very nice to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't very nice. People say that. They always say that. Don't meet your heroes, right? Yeah, he, I didn't really... Can't live up the expectations. Well, he wasn't very nice before the fight. And I was like, that's fair enough. Yeah. That's the way it goes sometimes. 
And then uh, he was very grumpy after the fight as well. I thought he was going to have like a bit of a passing of the torch moment. I thought he was going to be like, oh, you know, you're... but uh, he wasn't up for it. It's a shame. Didn't fancy it. Yeah. Um, let's backtrack a little bit. Your dad, one of the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts in the UK. How central was he to your coaching, you getting into martial arts, you developing as a fighter? Well, he's everything. Yeah. For me. Like if I, if he literally, if he rung me up right now and went, Tom, I think you should uh, stop fighting now. I think you've done enough. I'd be like, yep, yeah, no worries. And I'd go and tell the guys that I'm retiring. That's how, that's like what my dad means to me in terms of fighting. Like he's literally took me to my first ever martial arts session and he's quite literally been at every session since. Literally. Near enough, like obviously he's missed a few sessions here and there, but near enough, literally every session he's been there. And... Uh, yeah, my 100% trust is in is in him. Like, if it wasn't for him, I would never have even considered stepping foot in a gym or training. Or I wouldn't even believe in myself, you know, because he believed in me, like, way before I even believed in myself. So everything that I've done or will do will be because of him. I mentioned in that uh, intro about sort of, you know, 20 quid, does it go in the car? Does it go to feed the yeah. kids? That must have taken you to some pretty dark places. And I imagine he was pretty instrumental in sort of advising you through that and... Well, I imagine helping you out as well. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for my dad, not even just my dad, but like my mum, my brother and stuff, like they pretty much kept believing in me when I didn't even really want to do it. They were like, listen, you can't, doesn't matter if you've got no money, you can't just stop now just because you've got no money. Like you've got to keep it going. You you put all this work in, made all this sacrifice. You can't just stop because uh, there was a few tough times, especially uh, because I got three children and especially like when my twins came along. Uh, like twins is a big like having three kids by the time you're 25 with no money it puts like obviously a lot of pressure on my wife she's very believing in me as well which is great because if she started complaining about it I would have to go and get a proper job do you know what I mean mm -hmm. so uh, there was a lot of people around us and stuff like family members and friends who were like thinking I was like very irresponsible and telling me that I need to um you know, start looking at providing for a family and stuff and get a proper job and stuff like that. But like I say, luckily I had like my mum and dad in my ear being like, no, don't do it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making enough money so that you can go and train properly and uh, it'll take care of itself. And it did. There's two things I want to say about that. One is that that sounds like a very different Tom Aspinall to the one that's sat here now. Because you've already said the phrase UFC heavyweight champion of the world yep. twice in this conversation. It sounds like world to par. And the second is... I don't know, if, I'm thinking about if I was in that situation, how I'd think about myself as a man, you know, my role in the family pr as a, I don't know, a provider. Yeah. And not being able to do that must have done all sorts for you. It's tough, it, it's tough because, um, like, you don't want to be that guy who everyone's looking at thinking, what an irresponsible dad. <laughs> like, yeah, man. That, that's what I felt like. Like, that's what I felt like. You a lot felt like that? Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, of course. And, um, like, uh, there's all i got all kinds of different friends and family some of my friends have no money some of my friends are rich rich people um and i felt like a spe i felt like very inferior at times to people who were like um had money who were, who were friends because i felt even though they probably weren't they probably weren't it's probably my own insecurities um like playing little mind games on me but I felt like a lot of the times people were looking at me thinking, even if they might not have said it, or they might not even think it, but I think it was my own insecurities. I think people were just, I thought that people were thinking, this guy needs to like sort himself out and get a job. And 
needs to look after his family like because i felt like that i felt like i should do that myself a lot but um i went on a, i actually like i think that was again another pivot how the fucking hell do you say that word? pivotal pivotal another pivotal point in my career is it was like do or die for me it was like i either do this and win and do good i either make it work or i have to like go and do something i don't want to do for the rest of my life mm. and i really don't want to do that yeah. i really like maybe if it wasn't for them situations where i had three children and a wife and a house and all this stuff to pay for and i couldn't afford it maybe if it, maybe if i didn't if i weren't in that situation and i just lived at home with my mom and dad maybe i wouldn't have made it in fact i'm pretty sure i wouldn't have made it to be honest so i think that was great for me yeah i guess maybe gives you a hunger and helps with like what we were talking about fear earlier right yeah. kind of you can channel that. You can turn that negative emotion into a positive. A lot of positives came out of it. Definitely. Mm. I mean, uh, I'm living my absolute dream right now. Like, uh, I wake up every day. I'm free. I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm not locked down to anything. I don't have a boss. I can do what I want, when I want. And, uh, yeah, paid off. Killer. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, those first sessions with your dad, you know, thinking about your younger, I don't, probably aren't kids classes, right? In gyms. They're not at all. So you're getting on the mat with men. Growing well, were you big, were you big then? It was, a, it was an odd start, to be honest. Um, go on. So I started like, I was like a big kid, obviously. I'm a big guy now. So it was always like, I always wanted to compete. Like I, I like competing. And I would go to like boxing, for example. I would do, I'd do all my, all different kinds of martial arts, but I'd go to boxing when I could get boxing fights or I'd go to wrestling when I could get like wrestling competitions. And if the competition wasn't there and I couldn't get that, I would go to a different combat sport. That's how it'd work. Mm. And, uh, there was no like kids MMA class like there is now. It just didn't didn't exist. Yeah. Like simple as that. Like I was going, um I was going all over the place trying to find kids to train with. Like my dad would take me everywhere and just difficult to it wasn't popular then. Simple as that. So when I got to like eleven or twelve, I'd go down to the gym with my dad, train with the adults a little bit, but ultimately I was eleven or twelve years old trying to train with like thirty, forty year old fellas. Do you know what I mean? So uh I probably didn't train as properly then until I was probably like 14, 15. So it's a bit of a bit of, it like these days, kids are so lucky. They, they turn up at a gym, kids are made. They got like 20, 30 kids to train with. Like I was scrambling around trying to like wrestle one week and bloody kickbox the next week mm. or whatever with no kids there. And then 
I'd turn up to like my dad's classes with a load of 40 year old fellas who like didn't really want to train with an 11 year old kid so yep. um, yeah I probably started training properly though when I was say like 14, 15 mm. you gave boxing a go as well right you had a professional pro- boxing yeah, yeah I did, fight, I did yeah. I had one fight one fight yeah. bit of a nightmare trying to get get fights right in that game boxing is a bit uh, I don't like boxing I lo- no I love boxing like the sport of boxing the yeah. science of boxing and everything like I think it's amazing it's actually my probably second favourite sport to MMA but um, the boxing model is fucking god awful. I think it's absolutely terrible. Tell me why. Uh, what other sport do you look at, even like football, hockey, basketball, or anything? Look down a card. I mean, a card is a bit silly when you talk about football or whatever. But um, in boxing, you literally look at twelve fights on the card and know who's going to win the fights before you even watch them. Mm. Like that's not sport to me. Like sport is, like say football. Leicester play United, for example. Leicester have still got a go at winning. Do you know what I mean? Mm. A lot of these times, a lot of the times in these fights, you got a guy five and zero oh, fighting someone one and seventeen. Like first of all, it's straight up dangerous. Yeah. Second of all, it's not fucking interesting. Like what the hell is that? You got guys get literally getting to a world title level, and they've never fought anyone with. Like a winning record, what is that? Like what? Like it always seems to favour one guy over the others, even when they're fighting for world titles. Like this, uh, in the in the past week, for example, Lomachenko against Devin Haney. Lomachenko's like getting a little bit past his prime now, and uh, Haney's like in his prime. So still, even like mega fights like that, like they're calling it, there's still a, a, an older guy who's on the back end of his career. And a guy who's coming up and, and priming. Why, why is there not two guys fight? Why did Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua not happen when both of them were fucking on top of the world? Why? Why didn't Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao happen when they're both prime? Like, what is this shite about one really good guy fighting a guy? Even at the top level, it's like one world beater against one good guy. Mm. And then on the lower levels, Eddie Earnshaw's, Frank Warren shows. One really good guy against absolute shit. Like, what is this dangerous, man? Someone's going to die. I guess it's one of the reasons why you think UFC is a better sport. Is you prefer UFC. Well, it is a better sport. Yeah, well, I, I agree. Because you turn way. up at a UFC event and you go, who the fuck is going to win yeah. out of all Call them fights? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even one. Not just the UFC, Cage Warriors as well. MMA. Yeah, general sport. You go to a local show. But if you're 3-0 and and you're a local guy and you're on a local show, you're fighting someone else 5-1. and one. You're fighting someone else four and two. You're fighting someone else six and three. Like they're even. You're fighting someone else three and oh. You're fighting someone else two and oh. You're not getting a guy three and oh fighting someone one and 27. What? Like it's fucking dangerous, man. Mm-hmm. It's really dangerous. And I just don't agree with it. I love boxing. Absolutely love boxing. I'm the biggest boxing fan ever. Like I watch boxing all of my life when two skillful guys are showing what they're all about and putting it all on the line. Boxing is not one good guy fighting a fucking human punch bag. That's a load of shite. Hmm. What was it like then when you went into the Fury gym sparring with Tyson Huey under Paul? If you're a boxing fan, that must have been an incredible Oh, that was experience. great. That was great. Yeah, that was great. I, The Fury family, awesome people. Peter Fury, who was coaching Tyson at the time, absolute genius, been a big part in my career. Is still a big part in my career. Still speak to him. Um, still go down there, train sometimes. Um great people Fury family in general just just great people 
How old were you when you went off and did that? Uh, I think I was like 22, early 20s, something you like that. You must have thought you were the fucking man. Uh, no? Not particularly. Oh, really? No. I don't know. As like a boxer, I, I I wonder, you get in that ring, you sort of get the rub, you, you mix up with the, like the Gypsy King, right? Yeah, and, yeah. I'd struggle, I'd, you know, obviously never be in that situation, but I mean, I'd struggle as a young man to think, not be like, I've, you know, I'm a big time guy here. I don't know. No, I didn't think that at all. I really? I felt like a small time guy. We had got Tyson Fury as world champion at the time. I was a nobody at the time. No one knew who I was. And, uh, but they were very, very nice to me. Um, Tyson's a great guy. Huey's a great guy. Peter's a great guy. They're all, the whole family are all really, really nice people. So nice people to be around. I learned so much from them. How did it change? Not just I'm expecting not just the boxing side of things, but also the mentality side of things. Probably massively learn a lot from those guys. Massively, yeah, yeah. How? Um, because when I before I like so it was a weird way that it worked out for me. Like I I was in MMA and I was struggling to get opponents, so I kind of like went sparring with them guys at first without the intention to box, and then I started going pretty regular for it say like twice a week three times a week i can't remember exactly but um it was like right i was like having a fight set up and then the the opponent would pull out opponent would pull out, and that kept going on for like a year and then eventually they just came to me and said why don't you just do boxing you're like you're not getting you know you're here all the time anyway why don't you just switch over to boxing and have a go and uh yeah that's that's what I decided to do for a little little time being until I realised that boxing is a bit of a strange game and I didn't really want to do it anymore. Strange how? Um, because they wanted to pay my opponents out of my own money. And I don't I didn't want to do that. So I don't um, blame you, yeah. I, I well, mate, I'm from MMA. I want my opponent to turn up and try and beat me. I don't want my opponents to uh me to have to pay my opponents. So basically the way it worked, it was very odd. I didn't. I wasn't aware of this before. I like got a license or whatever. It's not. This is not the same for everybody. Like a lot of the prospects and stuff, they'll get like backing off investors and sponsors and stuff, so they don't have that. But uh, on the local kind of shows, they have like a ticket seller, which would be me in this case. And say I sold five hundred quid's worth of tickets, for example. Um, my opponent would want four hundred quid for turning up, so he would have the four hundred quid out of my ticket money. No, that that would sorry, that's not the way it works. So, uh, the promoter would want a percentage, my opponent would want a percentage, and I get what's left over. Which I remember fighting. I think my first pro fight I had to pay like forty quid because my opponent wanted more, and the promoter wanted more than I was had left over from my ticket money. So I think I actually ended up paying out my own money to fight at the time. Man, that's rough. So I didn't want to do that again, and. The second time, they wanted me to fight this pretty good guy as well. They're like, oh, you can't be fighting the... You have to fight like a step up in journeyman. And I think he wanted like five or six grand. So I had to sell like five or six grand's worth of tickets and then one or two grand to the promoter. And then I had what was left. And I just wasn't selling that many tickets at the time. So yeah. I just didn't want to do that. So I was like, ah, I'll just go back to me. Yeah, fair enough. The logic's there, right? Um, Your dad's still is in your corner right you, you mentioned earlier right he's everything to you how important is it to you to have someone where you have that relationship in your corner when you're fighting well my dad doesn't have any other he, he has like no ulterior motive other than making me the heavyweight champion of the world he's not in it for money he's not in it for his own gain or anything like that and he knows me so well he knows me so well it's like we have trained together for so long 
he doesn't have to give me a massive breakdown of what he wants me to do in that round. He can literally say two or three words and I know exactly what he means. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like he doesn't have to sit me down in the corner and be like, break down what exactly what I need to do. He'll just be like, for example, he'll just say foot on the outside and I'll know exactly what he means. He won't be like, right, when he steps forward, you need to step over, put this this way, put this that way, position your body this way. He can literally say, foot on the outside this time. And I'll be like, right, okay, that's it. Because we trained together that long, I know exactly what he means when he when he explains stuff. Is there a... You're a dad, right? And I, I imagine if you were to think about one of your kids taking up MMA, yeah. it's a dangerous sport. I mean, we all know it is, right? Is Does, does he have difficulty with that? You know, you're go, you're, you are going in there to, you know, to fight until the ref stops it or, you know, happens. Uh, I don't think so. He sees it as a sport. Yeah. It's a sport. It's a sport at the end of the day. So this is what I've grown up doing. Um, he's used to it, I think. Uh, he's never said it to me. Maybe he does. Maybe he just keeps it to himself. But um, yeah, he's very, he's very calming. He's very calming anyway. Like if my dad wasn't, I don't, I, I wouldn't like to fight without my dad there. I, I, it just wouldn't feel right. I don't think I'd want to do it. Um, so... Yeah, I wouldn't like anyone else in my corner apart from my dad, really. As long as he's there, I'm good to go. Would you want your kids to take up MMA? Uh, so my oldest kid now, he's nearly seven, he started training. And he he loves it. I'm just like, son, you can't be doing that. <laughs> like, I, just, I, try, I never like encouraged it or, other, like, yeah, yeah. or otherwise, really, or like told him not to go. It's just been like, same again it's just been a bit of a natural progression like he'll come down the gym with me I'm like my dad obviously and that's what I did with my dad but now he goes with me and his granddad my dad and uh, same again he's just like hanging around the gym before I know it some of my teammates kids are hanging around the gym before I know it they're fucking on the mat punching each other and he's just like and now they've started kids classes and he's joining in and I don't know. I think MMA is a great way to like channel your energy. It's such a positive thing, especially these days, mate. Smartphones, iPads, yep. all that. Like, I don't want my kids. I mean, it's an, it's an inevitable these days, I think, to that your kid has to have a smartphone and an iPad. Because you don't want them to be left out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're all the mates are on them. Yeah, yeah. You need them to be involved to a degree. But also, if you want to be good at martial arts or MMA or boxing or whatever, or any sport, or any anything really, but I think especially with um, MMA, if you're not invested, you're going to get your ass kicked, and it's not very nice. So if you want to not get your ass kicked and be good at it, you need to spend a lot of time doing it, which obviously takes time away from sitting on a frigging iPad or mm. a laptop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's very positive in that way. The thought of my children getting beat up and going through the whole anxiety process of preparing for a fight is not very nice and I would hope that if they want to do it as a profession that maybe may, my, my, like I say my oldest kid's nearly seven maybe in ten years the fights at the lower leagues and stuff they'll pay a lot better and it'll be worth his while because like stuff like fo football for example even if you like playing for an academy you're getting paid good money mm. Like these guys are having tough fights in uh against tough guys and getting no money for it. So I would like them to get compensated uh financially if they can. Is there almost a sense as well of the fact that you've done it 
so they don't have to go through it maybe you know maybe maybe but it's just one of them and it? it's like you do what you see don't you i think but i'll support them whatever they do like i've got three boys but if one of them says that they want to do freaking ballet dancing or something i'll take them you know what i mean i'm not i'm not like you have to be a cage fire because this is what real men do it's nothing like that it's like lads do whatever you want and i'll support you but when you're going down the gym twice three times i know because that's exactly what i did when you're going down the gym twice three times a week it's a nice atmosphere there people are nice and everyone's uh friendly and and like bonding and stuff it it's nice. It's a nice. It's a nice place to be. Social and yeah, and your friends are there, and everyone. Re everyone really respects each other in a gym as well. And uh, it's just a natural, pr especially when you see your dad doing it. Like I see my dad doing it all my life, and I'm like, naturally, you just want to do it because your dad's doing it. So yeah, I think it's pretty inevitable that they will end up uh, fighting one day. I think I don't know. I don't know. Like I say, there's no point. There's no encouragement or pushback. They can do whatever they want. So, but I think it's pretty inevitable to be honest. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're fighting Martin Tabura at UFC London on the 22nd of July, live on BT Sport. Thank you so much for taking the time, mate. Um, go and knock his head off, lad. Get it done. I'll try. Hopefully, won't actually knock it off. Um, <laughs> Within the rules, yeah. But I'll, I'll knock him out and the ref will stop it. Nice, nice one. one. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.